glad to be with you today. And I appreciate family and friends being here. I got to know Brother Steve by working with him in association and network and appreciate him and our friendship will continue on and that he and his wife Wanda and we plan to have some uh, time together at various occasions and good to have my baby boy and my baby girl here. He used to not like that, but I think <laughs> and his uh, wife Renee is here, and uh, this is a kind of special day for her. Uh, it's her birthday. Then uh, Bob and Shirley Spillman. Bob is my prayer partner. We meet at a restaurant on Wednesdays now and uh, have a meal and time of prayer. And I actually met Bob when I was pastoring in Louisville. And uh, he visited my church and I showed up at his house and uh, talk with them. They didn't join my church then, but later on we'd wind up in the same church in western Kentucky and uh, in the Sunday, same Sunday school class. And uh, then their house sold and they moved up here about six months before we did and we've maintained a friendship over the years and I appreciate them and Shirley and what they've meant to our life. Appreciate them being here today. Appreciate the opportunity to share with you today. The sermon's kind of, well, it is kind of different, but what I want you to do is to realize that the impact of a life and the Apostle Paul is the model, not me, and he started two churches, and I happen to think that he was concerned and enjoyed those churches probably more than others that he's with. And that's just the way we are. That's the way our nature is. Um, the Philippian church, first church he started on his second missionary journey, and then he would wind up down in uh, uh, Ephesus. And uh, some friends pulled together. And uh, what I want you to look for is uh, how these children of God worked together and cared for each other. And I appreciate the way that you all have cared for me and allowed me to preach here. Uh, another thing I want you to look at as we go through a brief summary of their, the experiences he had in those churches is how those relationships were bound together by prayer. By prayer. If you'll go to churches, you'll find that they talk about prayer a lot, but they don't pray a lot. A lot of them don't have prayer meeting. And in their service, sometimes there's one or two prayers, blessing on the offering and a benediction. And... Uh, I think that's one of the reasons that we're 
don't have the power that they experienced whenever Paul was working with them. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I want to go to the Lord in prayer now and ask His blessing and His guidance on our time. Father, we love You. Thank You for the life that we know through Christ Jesus. As we look at these churches that were planted by the Apostle Paul, we'll look at the way they were founded through prayer and through dedication to your truth. And pray that as they faced obstacles, the way they dealt with them, we pray that you would guide us today as our thoughts focus upon them and what you did in their lives. And we pray that your spirit will also work in our lives in a way that bring honor and glory to you. Amen. I stood at the foot of the bed in a hospital room and there was a frail body in the bed. A little fellow that probably wouldn't weigh 100 pounds. His son sat in a chair over to the left of me. And the man hadn't moved for some time and we didn't know whether he could hear us or not. But then his lips began to move. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but his son leaned over close to his dad's lips. A smile came across his face. He looked at me. He said he's just thanking the Lord for the good life he's had. He didn't tell me the, the exact words because that was between his dad and his Lord. The last words that our Savior said was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit according to Luke's gospel. Final words are important. And at the last, I want us to look at Paul's final words to these two churches. Because I think they're appropriate for any final words that we would have for any church. And I would have let those be my final words for you. Because they were in troubled times and so are we. Paul's second missionary journey uh, found him in Troas, a city by the side of the sea, Bithynia over to the right, and Europe to the left. And he said the Holy Spirit forbade him from going into Bithynia. And then during the night he had a vision of a man from Macedonia, which was Europe and over to the left saying, come over and help us. And immediately they made plans to go into Macedonia and to wound up in the town of Philippi. Philippi was 
a Roman colony because the battle where the Roman Republic became the Roman Empire was fought at Philippi. And a lot of the soldiers were given land in that area and they settled there. As they went through the town, you know, Paul's uh, practice was to go to the synagogue first. But there didn't seem to be a synagogue in Philippi. It would take 10 Jewish men, head of families, to start a synagogue. Because he would go there and worship first. And not finding one, then he went to the river and there was a prayer meeting going on. And you see, already there's the emphasis beginning on prayer. A man praying, come over and help us. A group of ladies praying on the outside of the city at a river. Lydia was one of those people, and she was a God-fearer. Evidently, she had heard the story of um, the Jewish God, and uh, she, a lot of uh, Gentiles were called God-fearers because they recognized there was something greater than, uh, and they'd like to hear more about it. Her heart was primed for the gospel. And as Paul shared the love of Christ, she responded to that. And when it was over, she said, if you consider my uh, life worth worthy, you come and stay in my house. And so they went and the first house church was started. Well, as they were going through the city of Philippi, there was a slave girl who told fortunes for some men that owned her. And she began to follow along behind them and saying, these men are the servants of the most high God. And finally, Paul turned and said uh, to the demon, come out of her. And the demon came out of her and she was free. Her owners didn't like that. And they went to the magistrates of the city and had Paul brought before them. They were stripped of the clothing, beaten and put into jail. During the night, they began to sing and to pray. And I like what my black brother described it. He said as God's looked over at Gabriel and said, listen to my boys down there. He began to pat his foot and the jail began to shake. And all the doors came open and the chains fell off. The jailer rushed in saying, ready to kill himself because of the warning he had been given to keep them secure. Paul said, don't do that. Don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. He came in and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the same thing that every person has to do. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him as Savior and Lord. Repent of their sins. And we receive him. That's how I received it. That's how Brother Peter received it. And all of you that hold the name Jesus precious. The jailer then took them to his home, washed their wounds, set food before them. See, eating's a part of it, isn't it? And, uh, Next morning, the magistrates came and told them to turn them loose. And they said, we were 
put in jail illegally, you come and they escort us out. So they came and no doubt they were humiliated, but Paul wanted a good name of Christians started the right way. He could have left and not said anything. And they would talk about that guy that they ran out of town. But they had to come and escort him out. He went to Lydia's and there with them he encouraged the church and then he moved on. That church kept in touch with Paul all of his ministry. They would send him gifts. And even in Rome, when he was in prison the first time, they sent a guy with a gift to help him and to stay with him and look after him. But Paul had Aphrodite to return to them with the message and with the letter of the Philippians, he and Tychias, telling them that he was okay and the Lord was blessing even though he was in jail. On his way from Philippi, he went to a place called Thessalonica. And there he started a church, but there was some difficulty. And he had to leave pretty quickly and went on to Berea and started one there. And they were more noble than the others and they listened to him. And uh, he started a church there. But again, the people from Thessalonica came down and caused problems and he had to leave there. So he went to Athens. And uh, his, those in his party, like Timothy and Silas, they stayed. And he would wait for them in Athens. And you notice this monument to an unknown God. And he stood up and preached to them about the unknown God that they were worshiping. And it was Jesus. But when he spoke of the resurrection of the dead, they laughed at him and kind of laughed him out of Athens. He left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met Priscilla and Aquila, a couple of Jewish people that had been led to Christ, and they had been uh, expelled from Rome. And so he worked with them two, about two years in Corinth, started a church there. And then he went up to Ephesus, but didn't stay long. They went with him, but... Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus and they would work with starting the church. But it wasn't until the third missionary journey that Paul would return to Ephesus and the church would become a flourishing church. Uh, there were some unusual things that happened when he was back there this time. Uh, there was a group of people that were watching him and he was casting out demons and things like that, and they thought, he's doing that in the name of Jesus. We'll use that name. The sons of Saviva were their names, and uh, they went to this guy that had an evil spirit and pro proclaimed that he was to come out in the name of Jesus. And the spirit said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? jumped on them, tore their clothes, and run them out of the house. Fear came upon the people because of this experience. The Bible tells us that the word of God was multiplied. But there was a problem because in Ephesus, that was the 
seat of the worship of Diana. And her temple was one of the seven wonders of that world, known world. There were people there that made little statuettes and things like that, and they sold them. They're made out of silver. And there was a silversmith guild there, or like our unions. And they didn't like it because they were getting into their pocketbook because of the people. If they responded to Jesus and there's only the one God, then, uh, then they would lose the business making uh, trophies of, of Diana. So they stirred up the crowd and uh, caused a riot. They took two of Paul's assistants and they went into a theater and Paul tried to get in, but they convinced him not to go in. And so he did not, went to another uh, place, went down into Greece. But on his way back to Jerusalem, he wanted to go by Ephesus. And he was also under a time crunch because he wanted to be in Jerusalem by the Passover. So when they came to Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. This is from the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to Jew and the Greek, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses to never city, saying, The bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer, to feed the church of God which has purchased you by his own blood. For this I know, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among the flock, among you, not sparing the flock. Now listen to this verse. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. One of the men that was involved in a riot was named Alexander. And he evidently was a leader in the Ephesian church. Whenever Paul would write to Timothy in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, he warned him about Alexander and uh, Hymenaeus 
that they were had been put out of the church, turned over to the devil. So he's also mentioned in Second Timothy whenever uh, Paul wrote that second book. Have you ever noticed how a lot of times what happens in a church is that uh, people rise up in a church and cause a split and just gives a bad name to the kingdom and uh, that's what happened in this church later because about 30 years later, the Apostle John writing on from the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation said that this church had left their first love. They were one of the seven that was mentioned. And he says, Watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of the grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all of them which are sanctified. Then I want to drop down to verse 36 because they come to the end of their journey. And when he had thus spoken, he knelt down and prayed with them. There's that word again. They're praying again. And they all wept sore, fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Dr. John Paul Hill says that that word that's been translated accompanied there is a, a semi-technical term. And it probably meant that they supplied his needs and they went with him to the ship because there was no facility, eating facilities on those boats and men, uh, travelers had to provide their own resources. And here they would be helping him in his journey back to Jerusalem. Now, I want to now turn to his final words because he's already told these people he probably will not see them again. But he did write them a letter. In Ephesians, the third chapter, he also mentions to them that he's praying and actually he inserts a prayer in this letter to them. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, listen to this, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might of his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able, now unto him that is able, did you get that? able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. I want to stop there and talk about that, Him being able. It's amazing what God can do when we turn Him loose. In the Old Testament, there were some people that hindered the work of God. 
they gave a a majority report and kept a generation from going into the promised land. Because of their rebellion, disobedience, one generation died in the wilderness because what ten people voted. What you have to understand that whenever people, churches are voting, majority rules, but the majority is not always right. Sometimes you need to listen to the minority report because God is able to do exceedingly abundant. Think about that jail that those men were in. That's an act of God. When Paul cast out the demon out of the slave girl, an act of God. Whenever Lydia there on that riverbank received Christ into her heart and received forgiveness of her sins, her life was changed. The slave girl's life was changed. Paul knew what it was to have a life-changing experience. And he wanted others to receive that same kind of forgiveness. And But the power that worketh in us. That's the power of God working in us. This building is a shell. I was over here when the walls were put up. I know that there's wiring that runs into these lights, into the sound system, and because when the framework was up, you could see all that stuff being put in. But nothing happened until it was connected to the power source. Brothers and sisters, we have disconnected from our power source. God is able to do a whole lot more than we can ask because we don't ask much of Him or think according to the power that worketh within us. Now we're in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. He uses a word. Finally, my brethren, this is verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. There's that word again. Power. Heard a story one time about a person that went to the papacy in Rome. A comment was made to him when he saw all the splendor. No longer can we say, silver and gold have I none. And the response was, but neither can you say, rise up and walk. Folks, there's a truth in that statement. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, we not only don't believe in the power that is available to us, but we don't believe there's a devil anymore. I happen to know there was a pastor that was out visiting not too long ago. When he told a guy where he was from, the church he was from, the guy looked at him and said, I worship King Satan. And the guy looked at him and said, you worship the devil? He said, yes, I do. You think he helps you in your life? Yes, I do. 
And the conversation went on, and whenever the guy left, the preacher left, the man looked at him and said, Would I be welcome at your church? And he says, You certainly would. I'd like for you to come. Folks, that experience happened not over 20 miles away from here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The first part that I read to you from the third chapter, verse 14, Paul was talking to him about what was available to them. And here he seems to be saying, Take advantage of what's available to you. Put on this armor so that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand. And there's a word again. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto and all perseverance and supplication. And for me, he's saying pray for me, that utterance may be given to, to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the gospel for which I am ambassador in bonds and therefore may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Last words. That was Paul's final words to the church in Ephesus. Activate the resources that God has available to you. Activate it in your life. Then in Philippians... The third chapter, he said, gives them a final living. And one thing you have to notice about Paul, and this is true, I guess it's biblically true, Pastor, that whenever a preacher says uh, in conclusion or finally, that it doesn't necessarily mean immediately. Because here in the third chapter, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you to me indeed it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. And then he warns them, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of dissension. And then when you go over to the fourth chapter, verses 8, there's the final, finally. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, if we did that, we wouldn't be worried about a whole lot of stuff, would we? Focus on the good stuff. We've got the not only good stuff, but we've got the good news. And we're to share that. And God has given us the resources to be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. 
Victory in Jesus. That's what it's about. And then Paul mentions that they have... Uh, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. They'd sent him another gift. This was the one with Aphrodite. So the final words. I don't know if this is my final words to... Smithfield Baptist Church, that they would well be because I, I think as I move off the scene and Steve and those of my generation, tough times are coming. And you need to reach down and talk to the Lord because, friends, we need to be connected to the power source. I remember receiving a call. I was on vacation out in Wyoming. We spent a night in Wyoming and I got a call from one of the pastors at his house, a church I helped start in Mayfield, Kentucky. Trevor Dunn had been involved in a car accident. He had been riding in a car that had bucket seats in the front and he was sitting in the back. His two friends were in the front and he was kind of leaning forward between those two seats. And they T-boned another car. Trevor went head first into the dash, and they had to cut him out of the dash. There was a group of about 30 people from Trevor's father and mother didn't have family close by, so the church was their family. In Vanderbilt, the doctor came out and told them that they would prepare prepared Trevor to where they could spend some time with him. And the youth director took that as an example of they are giving the family time because he's going to pass from this life. He said, I refuse to accept the diagnosis. Those 30 people Turned that waiting room into a prayer meeting. The next Saturday when I got home, I went to Vanderbilt to see Trevor. He was sitting up in a bed cracking jokes. Folks, prayer works. It hasn't been tried and found wanting. We've just stopped trying. What do you want your church to be? How do you want it to take a stand against the wiles of the devil? Realize that he's going to do everything possible to keep you from being the church that God wants you to be. It may be people rising up like it did in Ephesus. And there's a whole lot of churches that have left their first love. They're a good social work group, but it amazed me whenever here in Henry County we started the uh, rec uh, 
recovery program. I asked how many they had, and I was told that they didn't worry about numbers, they just wanted to love Jesus. In the two years it was operational, only one person came to Christ during that time. I think these things are good, but you need to have your priority in reaching them with the saving message of Jesus Christ. I've talked with a guy in western Kentucky. He's a logger. And out of the recovery program that we had, what's the name of it, Steve? The Celebrate Recovery, thank you. Uh, he's used that and started two churches. Judges will assign people to come to his church and he will put them to work and go through the Celebrate Recovery program. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is Jesus loves and he died, shed his blood for the sins of mankind. You're here this morning and you've never accepted him. It's available. pastor will be glad to talk with you about it. I'll be glad to talk with you. And I'm sure there are others here would as well. And the invitation is out to you. And you're responsible for how you respond to it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time and we ask your blessings upon us as we go from this place today. We ask that you would speak to hearts, encourage Christians, strengthen their faith, and we'll give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Peter, service.